Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hello, everyone. As Laura said, my name's Lucy. I've been a member of this church community for over four years now, which is like, yep, I'm British and they've accepted me, so it's great. (laughs) Um, Today we're starting a new series, and it is an eight-week series on the book of Mark. And basically, um, if I needed to, Chris asked, Lucy, can you introduce this series? And if I had to, I'd just say one thing. It is about Jesus. And we're just going to learn about Jesus for eight weeks. We're going to get to know him better, and we're going to see how knowing him better or experience how knowing him better can transform our lives. So that's, in a nutshell, what this series is about. And I wanted to start by exploring, like, why are we even studying the life of Jesus? Um, As Christians, or many of us are Christians, some of you um, might still be exploring, um, Jesus is very important to us. But we're in 2021, and if any of you need to look up that date, then I don't know where you've been, but I need to um, be able to get to that special place of forgetting the date sometimes. We're in 2021, and it's been over 2,000 years, approximately, since the birth of Jesus. And Jesus was born into a culture entirely different to the one we now find ourselves in. Hello. (laughs) And one one thing that I realized was that the problems that we face and the challenges that we face now... Some of them didn't even exist because they've been produced by the technology that we now have that we didn't even have when Jesus um, came to this earth. So why do we study his life and why is it so important to study his life? And I think it just, I just wanted to reiterate this point. It's a little bit back to basics. Some of you might know it, but it's kind of go overing it again. Basically, this book, the Bible, is all about God, or I'm going to use the term Yahweh. Um, to talk about God sometimes in this, in this um, when I'm chatting to you today, because it will make more sense later on. It will kind of make things a little bit easier. But this book is about God, but more specifically about um, God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. So this entire book is actually about Jesus, and we're exploring four books out of the 66 books that make up the Bible. And these four books are the record of Jesus' life on earth. So they're really important. They're like, basically, they, they're a gift to us, and there aren't actually many of them. So I wanted to say, I don't know how familiar, some of you would be familiar with this book, some people wouldn't. But the first part of this book is about creation and the fall and the flood. And basically, that part of the book is talking about our need for Jesus. And then you go on, and the book talks about this giving of the law. It's written over 1,500 years, by the way, so it's an epic book. Then it talks about giving the law. And when it talks about giving the law in this book, it's, talking, it's, it's the very foundations of Jesus that it's building. That's what the law is building. And then it talks about entering into the promised land, and it talks about the kings, and it talks about King David. And that is the preparation for Jesus. The kings in the Bible show us and prepare the way for Jesus. 
And then you've got the wisdom literature and the Psalms. And in there, you explore people's longing for Jesus in a way that we've never kind of seen before. And then you get to the prophets. And the prophets, they talk about Jesus actually coming. And it's about the expectation of the coming of Jesus. And then in the Gospels, we find Jesus actually comes. And suddenly you have this whole book leading up to Jesus coming. And we call them the Gospels. They're the record of Jesus' life. The Gospels is a bit of a, a kind of Christian term. It simply means good news. So these four books, this is the good news. So this is really important because suddenly Jesus' life in the reading and studying of his life in these books, in the books of the record of his life, they explain the rest of the Bible. So when we start to explore the Bible, we can see it through the life of Jesus, and suddenly it begins to make sense in a way that maybe it didn't before. So that's what makes studying his life really cool, and why eight weeks exploring who he is in the Gospels is such a cool thing to do. In um, John 1, verse 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we really want to understand what this book is saying and really understand Jesus and who he is, it's really important to study his life. So that's why we're doing it. Okay, so why the book of Mark? Other than the fact that Chris chose the book of Mark and said, Luce, let's do a series on the book of Mark. Um, Mark particularly is a really interesting gospel because for six centuries, it was known as the forgotten gospel. No one really studied it. It didn't really have commentaries written about it. The church wasn't as interested in it as Matthew and Luke and John, which are the other three gospels that make up these books about Jesus's life. And, and you, you think, why? Why didn't they study Mark the way that they studied the others? Well, Mark is the shortest of the books. It's the least complicated. It's the least what they consider theological and sophisticated, and 90% of the book of Mark can be found in Matthew and Luke. So the scholars of the day thought, we don't need to study Mark, let's just study some of the uh, more complicated theological books. Um, And so Mark got forgotten, but then it got promoted because scholars and theologians began to realize that actually Mark was probably one of the first written recollections of the life of Jesus ever. So suddenly it got promoted because it became the source. It became the um, source with which other Gospels were actually written and referenced by. Um, We actually know this from Luke. In the beginning of Luke, he says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account. So we, know that, we now know that Mark is really important, and I'm not a historian, but historians will tell you the source, the first source, the beginning, they're important. So um, another reason why Mark is a really good book to be studying. Okay, some key things about Mark. Now, Mark is interesting because unlike the other books about the life of Jesus, Mark does not start with Jesus' birth. In fact, Mark only covers three years of Jesus' life, from the calling, his calling to ministry to his death. 
So suddenly, whereas the other books cover a bit more and give a little bit more span, Mark is very eyewitness account these three years, and that's what it is. So Mark is really fascinating for what it leaves out as much as for what it includes, which is why having more than one account of the life of Jesus is so great, because we get to compare. So that's another thing that's great about Mark. A fun fact, just because I love fun facts, is like one of the only, well, there might be more, but this one. We know that Jesus was a carpenter because of the book of Mark. Now, some of you, Jesus is known as a carpenter. And in Matthew, it talks about Jesus being the son of a carpenter. But Mark is the one that tells you that Jesus is actually a carpenter. So when we talk about Jesus being a carpenter, that's thanks to Mark. It focuses less on theology, like I said, and more on the impact of the story to the people around Jesus. And that's really important because Mark is really interesting in that it talks about these amazing stories that happen, and we're going to look at them over the the next eight weeks. I am just introducing this. There are going to be some people sharing some great stuff about some of the things written in it. But what's interesting is it explores people's struggles with discovering who Jesus really is. It it, It reports and explores the impact of Jesus on the lives of people around them, and in a little bit more than in some of the other Gospels, which makes it often known as the gospel for everyone. So Mark is the gospel for everyone. No one is excluded from this. All right, now I've introduced it and hopefully got you excited about reading the book of Mark over the next eight weeks. Um, We're just going to go straight to the very beginning. Mark 1 verse 1. So if anyone's got their Bibles with them, pull them out or or your phones or anything. There are some Bibles underneath the cross if you need to have one. We're going to start at the very beginning. Okay, so in Mark 1 verse 1, it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, that's the end of the sentence in my Bible, but it might not be the end of the sentence in yours. I am going to mention some grammar here, but I'm doing a disclaimer. I'm not actually that good at grammar in any way, um, but I've been reassured that this is true. Uh, This phrase or sentence is fascinating because it doesn't contain a verb, which means that it's not actually a sentence, which is interesting to start um, to start a book. And that's because it's actually a title. So if you want to look at what Mark's about, like a little essay summary, for example, then all we have to do is read the first part of Mark, and it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. We're at the beginning. It tells us, and we're about to read everything we're about to read is the beginning of this story. So verse 1 isn't the beginning. This whole book is the beginning of the story. So if we think about reading Mark as the beginning of the story that's about to unfold and the beginning of the good news, then um, it changes the way we look at it. The Gospels are just the start of the story, and that's how we're going to explore it in the next eight weeks. So what's the significance of the first few verses in Mark? You've got Mark 1, verse 1. I've said this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So it's really interesting because he starts with a title, And then he goes straight in to the Old Testament. 
And he goes straight into two quotes from the Old Testament from Isaiah and Malachi. And he says two things in these verses. He says he's talking about a messenger going ahead and preparing the way. And then he's talking about who the messenger is preparing a way for. And that is the Lord. Now, a little bit of context. The Jewish people believed not only that their Savior was coming, but that their Savior would be God himself, which is really important because the Jewish people truly believed that Yahweh himself would come down to earth and save them. And so this was part of the context of trying to understand who Jesus was and why kind of later in life he caused a bit of a stir. Basically, Mark is saying in this, he reads this out, he's referring to two prophecies, and just a segue to this, he talks about a messenger coming, and then he talks about preparing the way for the Lord. But who is, who is the Lord? Now, what's really interesting, and again, another slight side segue, but I promise you it will make sense. The New Testament is actually written in Greek, not Hebrew. The Old Testament is written Hebrew. But when the New Testament refers to the Old Testament, they quote the Greek translation of the Bible, not the original Hebrew, which means that the word Lord has already been translated from Yahweh to Lord because the Hebrew people didn't believe in writing the name of God down. And they would either change the name of God to Adonai, meaning Lord, or they would write four letters and not say the name ever. So when Mark is quoting this passage in the Old Testament, he's talking about the Lord. But what we actually know when we look at the original is that Lord in this means Yahweh. So this messenger is preparing for the coming of Yahweh, God himself, not a master or a Lord. And so that's really important to recognize because he is quoting a, a prophecy from the Old Testament talking about a savior coming. And then he is saying, by the way, he's come. And he says it by announcing at the very beginning, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Messiah. So Mark was not only saying Jesus was one who represented the Father's authority, but then goes on to say Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Yahweh himself. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is that why does he need to quote two prophecies from the Bible to prove that Jesus is Yahweh? Why does he need to do that? Um, doing a little bit of research, I, I found out that when you, call, you use the term the Son of God, at that time, not now, now when we hear the term the Son of God, often we associate it with the divine. But back then, they didn't actually associate it with the divine. When people used the term the Son of God, it actually referred to someone a special representative of God, not necessarily a descendant of God, but someone who has been given the status of a firstborn son and who represents the father's authority in that place. So it's a really great title, but it doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is divine. And so Mark wants to give him this title, but then also wants to go on and say, actually, he is God. He is the son of God and he is God. So basically... I, and I think another interesting thing, the judges were called the son of, sons of God. 
in the Old Testament, David was referred to as the son of God in Psalm 2. And that's because these people that God, like I said earlier when I told you about Jesus's representation throughout the Bible, there were people that God prepared the way to represent him and his people. But then Jesus was the fulfillment of that because he was God himself. And that's a really interesting way of journeying throughout the Old Testament and getting to that truth. So basically, the apostles, Mark, is, the, is one of the first people to define that term, the Son of God, into the divine. And suddenly, we recognize it and associate it with Jesus. But to the people reading this for the first time in the church, it would have been, they would have needed clarification. They would have needed them to say, no, he is God himself. And then in verse 3, it says, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Now, what Mark is saying, and I won't read all the way through Mark, but basically this messenger that Mark is talking about is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a man who came before Jesus, just like this passage says, and prepared the way for his coming. Now, John the Baptist is, was an interesting character, but um, highly respected at the time. And what Mark was doing when he was writing the beginning of his gospel was saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The messenger, that was John the Baptist. Jesus, he is God and he has come. And so the whole of Mark is now being read in the context of the truth of who Jesus is. So in actual fact, the challenge of reading the book of Mark is not working out who Jesus is. The challenge for the book of Mark was people understanding who Jesus was. And over the next eight weeks, we will explore some of the struggle of people to actually understand, okay, yes, you're the Messiah, but what does that mean? Doesn't the Messiah come with a sword and a shield? And we've just got through Easter, and we've, we've just remembered again why Jesus came, why Mark is writing all of this down. So we've, just, we've got that fresh in our minds, recognize what he... Jesus has done, and what he is doing, and what he is about to do, is, was beyond the comp- comprehension of understanding. There was no one in studying the whole of the scriptures that could have predicted that Jesus would have done what he did, and the way that he did it. So basically, at the very beginning of his gospel, he's saying, this is undisputed. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is God himself. And let me show you how. And then Mark's exploration of people's challenge to understand who Jesus is really helps us. Because sometimes it's hard for us to get our head around some of this understanding. And this is really important. And basically, question, Jesus is the son of God, but he is also God. And then you get really confused. Because in Christian traditions, we have something that we call the Trinity, that um, thankfully every single person who teaches about teaches with a disclaimer that says, this might not make sense and I don't really understand it. Because when you begin to explore the complex unity of God's identity, um, we as humans just don't really have the words to describe it. I'm going to give it a little go, but if it doesn't work, come and see me after, help me do it better. Um, I want to take us down to Mark 1, verse 9 to 11. And this is Jesus' baptism story. And this is a story that isn't just found in Mark. This is found 
in, the, in every single gospel. In fact, it's pivotal to what is about to happen next. And it's in Mark 1, verse 9 to 11. Let's see if I can find it. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit is present in the form of a bird, and the heavens open and God speaks. That picture of the heavens opening is actually um, kind of harks back to creation when God spoke the world into being. So suddenly we know from this passage, what does Yahweh look when look like when he comes to earth? He, can't, he looks like the embodiment of Jesus, the, um, the representation of the Holy Spirit as a as a bird, and a voice from heaven, because Yahweh is three in one, and Jesus, the Son of God, is one part, one and all three. So basically, that is my attempt at an explanation, but it's actually the, the disciples or the apostles who write the Gospels that try and explain that. They try and explain God in, in, in three persons, and they try and explain that it goes beyond our ability to understand. But we do know that Jesus is the Son of God and is God himself. And one thing I just wanted to draw out from this is the, is the term God the Father. Now, God the Father is a term that Jesus used more than any other. And in fact, before Jesus used it, it wasn't a common occurrence for the Father to be used in a ter- as a term to represent God. But Jesus, in coming down to earth, intentionally wanted to represent who God was and that God was a Father. Let me just see if I can scroll up. That would help, wouldn't it? Yes. Basically... The voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. So we've had, I don't know, about a lot of years of waiting for Jesus to come. And suddenly we have Jesus coming to earth in the form as Yahweh, in the son of God, as a representation of God in human form. And God chooses to represent himself as a father and Jesus has a son. And that is because it's really important to explore what the term father means to Jesus. He comes from this deep place of deep conviction that in his essence, the father is gracious and generous and merciful and compassionate. And by using the term father, we can begin to understand and connect and restore a relationship back to God that we could never have had before. We begin to explore attributes of God that we would never have explored. And it all comes from the fact that we know Jesus as the son of God and God as the father. And that is a gift that he gave us to be able to connect with him because Jesus's heart for us is reconciliation with the Father. And to do that, he wants to show us who the Father is. He wants to show us the heart of God. And that is what he is actually doing. Jesus, the Son of God, was actually a game changer, changed the world, changed the way that we see God and the way we understand God. And even throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, we could never have understood 
God as a father until Jesus came. And that's what's so precious about the fact that Jesus is known as the Son of God. Game changer, guys. Game changer. It says, And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And I just want to take a second to explore Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity is clearly stated here. God the Father says, You are my beloved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus' identity is as one who is eternally loved. Before he has done anything, before he has started his ministry, before he has even experienced temptation of any kind that we know is happening later in Mark, Jesus is affirmed and confirmed in his identity as one who is loved and beloved of the Father. He is the Son of God. This is his whole ministry of announcing the kingdom flowed out of being loved and out of being affirmed by God in, in that love. And one thing I did want to say is it's important to understand that the very basis of who God is, is love. And beginning this baptism story as he did and showing this relationship of God the Father revealing himself to Jesus, you are highlighting the most important attribute with which you can do ministry out of, which is that knowledge of being loved and, that, and your ministry flowing out of being loved. So the very basis of who God is, is love. And Jesus has used the term father. He used it in a fundamental way. No one has used it, the, the term father, the way that Jesus did. And as a result, he reshaped the term, the son of God, by reshaping how we see the father. And that's really important to explore as we go into the whole of the rest of Mark, because this really is just the beginning and just an introduction into what's, what's to come. So right from the beginning, we readers know who Jesus really is. It's stated clearly. There is no doubt about that. But much of the interest and the drama and the intrigue of the gospel concerns the struggles others have in the story. And we'll see later on and we'll explore it, how Peter struggled with understanding who the Messiah was and wasn't he coming to... He was coming in a different way. They didn't expect Jesus to come the way, they, way he did, and so it was very hard to accept who he really was. And basically, recognizing his true identity becomes one of the biggest mysteries about Mark. It's known as a term, the messianic secret. And basically, people are discovering who Jesus really is in Mark, and that's what we're going to do. And that's what's so great about having time to do a series, is we get a chance to take a moment, step back, and discover who Jesus really is. And in that discovery, without you trying to do anything, it trans transforms everything, because that is who Jesus is. Finally, I wanted to explore the concept of being ambassadors for Jesus. And I know that it's a term, we use it in political spheres or whatever, but increasingly in the study of theology, they're beginning to explore not just the facts and statements written in the Bible about God, which are important. And we've just read in Mark, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We know that to be true now. And I, for one, truly believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. But the theologians are also exploring how communities and lives were changed after encountering Jesus, and those changed communities also became evidence and truth of the authority of who Jesus was. 
they, the communities, that, the lives that changed around where Jesus was actually authenticated Jesus' ministry. So as historians look back in time, not only do they have Mark to read about these truths and facts of who God is, or later in the letters, Paul expounds that in great detail, but they also go back and look at communities and look at lives transformed and look at the way this community of people and this church began all from the outpouring of Jesus coming to earth. Not only do we know that Jesus is the Son of God because it says it in Scripture, which is enough, but also because of the transformation around. And the book of Mark isn't trying to prove that Jesus is the Son of God because it says it at the very beginning. It's fact. The thing that, the book, that makes the book of Mark so great is that it follows the lives of people as they begin to discover Jesus. And that's what this series is about. This series is about Jesus and how he changed the world. God sent the patriarchs, as I said earlier, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and that established a nation. And when that nation was established, they realized that they needed Jesus, as, as I've mentioned earlier. Then he sent Moses and the law to lay the foundation of Jesus. And then he sent kings to prepare the way for Jesus. And then he sent prophets again to prepare the way for Jesus. Then he sent Jesus who changed the world. Then Jesus sent the apostles. And then Jesus sent us. And that's the thing that's amazing about the beginning of Mark. It is the beginning of the story that we are now living in. So when it says the beginning of the gospel, it really does mean the beginning. We don't actually know the ending yet, which is really cool because we get to be a part of that. Our lives bear witness to the truth of who Jesus is. Just like when a community was transformed by Jesus, they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. When we are transformed by Jesus, people know who Jesus is. We are ambassadors that point to the truth of who Jesus is. Our testimonies bear witness to that truth. And do we really know that? Like, do we really know that our lives completely and utterly point to the truth of Jesus and his identity? And sometimes we forget what part of the story we play. And that even though we're, beginning, we're reading the beginning of the Gospels about the life of Jesus, a lot happened. And now we're here and he sent us to do what he sent the apostles to do. And we get to read about his life because the gospels were written to tell the church who Jesus was so that they wouldn't forget. It wasn't actually written to send to the non-Christians to be converted. It was actually sent to the church because you know what the church's job is? The church's job is to share the good news. And that has always been our job. And we get to explore this and we get to share this truth with anyone and everyone that, that we can. And I think what Paul says it really well in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. He says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So we are evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, and our lives, just like those in 
the book of Mark, served to authenticate the truth about his teaching. It's a big, big story, and we are part of it. Jesus came to change the world. He came to bring us back into relationship with the Father, the Father, the God, the creator of the universe, Yahweh. If you'd like to meet this Jesus, there's no better time. Because we're about to spend eight weeks discovering who he is. And, um, and Jesus is there and came to earth to reveal the Father and to restore us back to him. If you'd like to move from hearing about him to beginning to bear witness about him, now's the time to do that. His life impacted those around him so massively they were never ever the same. He impacted many of our lives so massively that it's never the same. We don't know the light that we are shining just by walking around, just by saying a kind word or smiling to someone as we walk past them. But Jesus does, because that's what he sent us here to do. So studying his life and studying his impact on the world around him really does change everything. Hopefully, this has introduced what is to come. There are going to be some great things um, shared. And, and Mark, like I said, it really is a great book. And so I would encourage you, if you'd like, to, um, to read this over the next eight weeks. Read this book. It's not very long, and it's, it's a good read. So um, give it a go. You know, we're going to hopefully, I can send out some, some stuff in the, I can tell you what some of the things coming up could be, so you want to read them in advance. But essentially, with this truth in mind, and this knowledge of where we're about to go, like, what can we do to shine Jesus' truth in the world? And what can we do to be ambassadors of Jesus? What, what can we do to continue this amazing story that's to come? So that's the introduction to the book of Mark for you. Now, over to you. Um, but no, with this in mind, in exploring this a little bit more, I... I felt that it's a really good time to just recenter our hearts in focus towards him. And so if, any, if you'd like and you want to stand up and maybe we could pray together and um, explore some of this. So everybody stand. And one of the things I'd love to, to do together, if you'd like, is to actually... Jesus taught us a few great things when he was on earth. And one of the things he taught us was the Lord's Prayer. And he taught us how to pray our Father. And what is so cool about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus spoke about the Father a lot, more than anyone else. And not only did he talk about my Father, he said our Father in the Lord's Prayer, suddenly inviting us to connect with God the Father in a way that we never had before. So I I don't actually have it on the screen, but I'll say one. Does everybody know the Lord's Prayer? There's a few hands up. So we'll just say it together, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.